Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist, and you're listening to Babbage, a weekly conversation on science and technology. I'm Miranda Johnson, the environment correspondent, and I'm joined today by Matt Kaplan, who writes on science for us, who's on the line from California, and Jason Palmer, our science correspondent, with me in our London studio. In this episode, we'll be talking about how satellite technology could save lives after an earthquake and a tantalising signal that looks increasingly to be from dark matter. Matt, turning to you first over there, this week you're writing about radar-wielding satellites and how they might be able to help rescue crews in an earthquake's aftermath. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. uh, So the folks at Caltech and at NASA have been looking at the satellite technologies that would be able to, they're, they're able to get this incredibly good measurement on what's going on on Earth. And they can look at structures, they can look at the how how high up or how low down the crust has gone after an earthquake. And because we've got these satellites going all the time, we have images that have accrued over the years. And when you have a major event, you can look at the satellite imagery right after the event and compare it to what you had before and say, oh, my goodness, look, that hillside has moved to this new location where it wasn't before. And, oh, wait a minute, there was a village there once upon a time. Yeah, because the challenge is presumably that uh, some of the buildings, it's very obvious that there's a problem, i.e., you know, that they're in heaps of rubble on the ground. But some buildings after an earthquake, is it less obvious what's happened to them? Yeah, I mean, and the problem with earthquakes is, hailing from Southern California originally, the reality is you have an earthquake strike and it doesn't hit radially outward in any sort of sensible fashion. So so if you have an epicenter, one mile out to the east, the buildings could be devastated if they're all sitting on top of sandy, sandy material that's really loose and rocks around readily. But, you know, one mile to the west, you could have a bunch of buildings on bedrock, which, which fare pretty well. So you end up getting these scattered islands of some areas that just rocked to pieces and some that, that, that don't. And so the question has always been, where do we go? Where do we send emergency personnel straight away? And that task has traditionally fallen to the United Nations with folks who are looking with optical satellites And no kidding, after a major event, they bring in a horde of people, they look at satellite maps, and they compare them visually to the maps that they had before the earthquake. And that's it. They're at the mercy of these maps and determining, does this look different from that? Is, you know, oh, wait a minute, there's a cloud in the way. I guess we can't really consider that. We'll have to wait for the satellite to come by again. And with radar, you don't have to worry about that. It's a sort of strange game of uh, of spot the difference. Have uh, satellites been used in this manner before? I mean, it. I don't want to say it seems like an obvious thing to do, you know, well, take pictures from the sky, but was the, the kind of capability not there before? We're getting there. It's So you need, you need to depend upon synthetic aperture radar, which is, is starting to make its way into the skies more often. But the big problem that folks are running into is the satellites aren't always on. So... If, 
Because, so for example, there was, uh, in, on April 25th, 2015, we had the big Nepali earthquake, 7.8 on the Richter scale, 8,000 plus people died. It was the worst since 1934 in the country. And within a few hours after that earthquake occurred, a satellite flew by that had the capability to get the radar readings off the ground and compare them to radar that we had had before. But because it was a Saturday, no one was available in the Italian space agency to switch the satellite on. And so it just flew right on by. And you had to wait until the next one. And so a big part of this is just getting space agencies to communicate with each other and share the information. And obviously, I, you know, you cannot tell um, when an earthquake, you know, if it's going to strike on a, a Saturday, as you say, or a Sunday. And it's, I imagine, a case of life or death for people trapped in rubble, you know, if someone can pick up yeah, and look at satellite images within, within a few hours rather than, you know, oh, sorry, we're going to have to wait five days. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, in this case with the Nepali earthquake, it took them four days before they could get a satellite switched on and doing the work that needed to be done. And four days is, frankly, just too long for folks trapped under rubble. You can't do anything with that. But they're estimating that by 2020, with the number of satellites that are going up, if the space agencies actually start sharing the information and keeping their satellites on, you really can see a response within you know six hours. And that's it's still a long time to wait under a collapsed building, but boy, that's a lot better than the alternative. Absolutely. And does uh, improving uh, rescue efforts um, using this particular technology, does that essentially just depend on, hey, we need more of these types of satellite with this particular technology? We just need more of them in the sky. It's that, and it's also, you know, the folks who are crunching the numbers over at Caltech and at NASA, they've got these wonderful color-coded maps which are coming up, which help to to demonstrate the areas that have really changed dramatically from the quake. And so you can look at these very quickly as a first responder and say, oh my goodness, okay, so this area of this village got devastated, but actually this village, which is one mile out, looks like it's unscathed. So it's not just about sending first responders to a location where they can go and do some good. It's also about telling folks who are surviving this incident, hey, that village over there, did pretty well, you can probably go there and take comfort and get some fresh water as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Matt, for calling in from California. We are going to turn back to the studio now. Um, good morning, Jason. Hello. 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 Um, Jason is one of our science correspondents here. And we are going to be talking about, um, it's not exactly a discovery related. Yeah, the discovery in physics has a very specific meaning. So yes. we, want, we want to no, stay away no, from that for now, but go not. on. Um, <laughs> pressure's on now. Um <laughs> It's not a discovery uh, related to dark matter exactly, but it's essentially uh, one one team coming out and saying, hey, we, we can't disprove a particular theory yet. That's that's good enough. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll get into why this is a subtle thing. It's mm. something that uh, a couple of people in particular have been waiting something like six years to happen, huh. uh, more or less an analysis of a signal they saw that they thought in 2009 came from dark matter. Mm-hmm. Now, wind back a bit here. What's dark matter? It turns out to be something like a quarter of the universe, and we don't know what it is. Big long story behind that. There's six times as much of this stuff um, as of regular matter, normal matter, uh, familiar matter, I should say. In short, we only know that it's there um, because some astronomers back in the 30s looked Mm -hmm. out at some some galaxies and galaxy clusters and saw that the way things are moving, there's just not enough visible stuff to hold the galaxies together. They should just spin themselves apart. Yes. Um, And so there is definitely something there that is massive, but we can't see it. So it's made of matter Uh Mm -hmm. and it's dark. 
Hey. You see what they've done? <laughs> so this is actually one of the biggest uh, mysteries in science these days. What is this stuff made of? Now, most physicists reckon that it's made of, uh, it's kind of like familiar matter. It's made of particles, yep. um, except that those particles don't interact very much with uh, the, the stuff that we, that, that we know. Mm-hmm. Else we would have seen it by now. It would have shown up in experiments here on Earth. So the idea is that there are these particles out there and there's, well, a, a shed load of them for one thing and that every now and then they should bump into one another and that if they do, then there's this very complicated series of, uh, of particle decays and, and what have you, depending on the model that, that you choose. That transmogrification. Transmogrification, yes, is yeah. the technical term. Um, and it depends on what model you use to, to imagine that your particles are transmogrifying and what have you. But in any case, some energy comes out, right? Mm-hmm. And a couple of researchers, uh, Dan Hooper and Lisa Goodenough, um, saw in 2009 some gamma rays in a telescope called Fermi that they reckon was basically the very last stage of these particles bumping into one another. Uh-huh. turning into other stuff and releasing light. Okay, so what actually they've seen, it's not particles, it, it, it's gamma rays. Right, exactly. So uh, they saw this in the data released publicly by the, the collaboration behind the Fermi telescope, uh-huh. which uh, is an orbiting telescope that looks in, in the gamma ray region. This is just light, basically, but not the kind we can see of much, much, much higher frequency. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the universe is kind of broadly alive with gamma ray light, lots of high energy processes out there that create gamma ray light. And... The, the, this pair of researchers reckoned when they looked in the overall signal from Fermi, from the public data released from the Fermi collaboration, once they subtracted off everything they could definitely put a finger on, and this is due to this, and this is due to that, that there was something left. And that something left has been this sort of tantalizing signal. And, I mean, I imagine those kind of calculations, you know, trying to sort of strip back every other possibility, it must be, well, incredibly complex. And, and is that a, you know, a reliable way of you know, working out what's going on? Well, um, it's kind of the best we can do if yeah. what we're in the business of doing is, is kind of looking in all of these different you know, wavelength regimes and so on. Um, and the reason that we're talking about this now is that there's kind of uh, the widely accepted team best suited for this kind of subtraction yeah. is the team behind the telescope itself. Yes, of right? course. So yeah. We have, you know, this, it's, it's almost a matter of, you know, a Sunday afternoon bit of fun, like a bit of sport for astrophysicists to take the family data <laughs> and go through it and subtract stuff and come up with their own theory for I reckon, you know, these particles would yeah. bump into each other and do this and that and you'd leave this signal and whoa, lo and behold, here is a signal just like that in the Fermi data. Yep. This happens all the time. This happens, has happened scores, perhaps hundreds of times over the last few years and more or less this is kind of a, a self-policing thing. People find their beloved signal, yep. they publish it, other you know, sort of try and knock it down. Yeah, or, other yeah. researchers come in and say, well, actually, if you model things this way instead, it'll go like many, many, many signals of this sort have been uh, proposed, mm-hmm. have been knocked down, have been have come and gone, basically. But this one from 2009 has remained. And all that those researchers really wanted to see was kind of a, a thumbs up from, from the Fermi team themselves, who normally are really only in the business of publishing, like, here's how we would do the subtraction of this sort of thing. And yeah. here's the kind of stuff yeah. that we see in this regime and so on, not tackling specific signals. But finally, they had to look at this. And finally, this week, we see the, the, the Fermi resolution of this. They've looked into the signal. Mm-hmm. And by golly, they can't get rid of it either. Interesting. So it's, it's I mean, these kind of institutions are sort of conservative, I imagine, in the way they, they approach these kind of declarations. But is it exactly a thumbs up or is it more, uh, hey, we, we can't disprove it? Um, well, that, that's that's just it. And this is why we uh, at, the, at the top can't say it's a discovery because yep. uh, that would be, I think, arguably the best experimental result of the century. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we'd be uh, talking about it for hours yeah. here on Barrett's uh, yeah. What it is is at least some, some encouragement that that's 
signal does need greater scrutiny, perhaps by other instruments, you know, in different wavelength regimes and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, my, my reading of this is that the team is kind of tired of, of arguing about it, tired of trying to make it go away, and instead are publishing their analysis. It doggedly remains the most tantalizing signal in physics and, and what have you. But I think it's significant that the Fermi team has come out and said explicitly, we can't get rid of it either. Yeah. Were, were, were there hints at any point that they were going to do this? Well, um, it's, a, it's a big community. It's a big collaboration. Certainly, there was a, a bit of a hint at the symposium uh, last year dedicated to just this, this telescope, uh-huh. which is again going on this week, which is in part, I think, why they put this paper out this week. Mm-hmm. They hinted at it, you know, where we're seeing an excess too. But the paper that's out this week is kind of like is the whole shebang, is the, the full analysis, all of the graphs, all of their analyses, subtractions, backgrounds, what have you. Yeah. And what's next? I mean, how else could we uh, potentially investigate dark matter? Well, uh, as I say, there are candidate signals arising all the time. Uh, there is one that kind of has the attention of the astrophysics community at the moment from another telescope called XMM-Newton, and that looks in X-rays and so on. So mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff will eventually, I mean, I, I, it seems to me that it will have to be a preponderance of evidence. What we're talking about is indirect detection, right? Yeah. We're talking about this big sloppy world where, you know, it depends very much on the mass of the thing and the progression of particles it decays into. It's not as if there's just one hypothesis that we're trying to sort of t- to shore up here. Jason, that's fascinating. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, I, I look forward to the hour-long special we will have when, you know, officially we can claim that this is a discovery. That time may yet come. Yeah, it's probably 30 years away, as we always say on uh, on Babbage. But no, thank you for joining us. And uh, thanks also to our other guest, Matt Kaplan. Um, and that is all for this episode. You have been listening to Babbage. For more news on science and technology, go to economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.